Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Blatant Homers and Podcast on B-Sporto's Sooner Sports Radio. I'm your host, Alan Kenny, and I'm joined today by journalist Jessica Luther, who co-authored a piece with Dan Solomon for Texas Monthly last week to put the spotlight on the case of Baylor University and uh, former player Sam Ukuwachu. Ukuwachu was convicted last week of sexually assaulting a former Baylor student, and the trial has uh, clearly raised a lot of questions about how the school has handled the incident. So I wanted to bring Jessica on to uh, discuss Jessica, I should start off by asking, given the general secrecy that uh, surrounded this case, what turned you on to it, and and how long were you working on this story before it published? I was actually tipped to it. So we, Dan and I knew about it about, we published on August 20th, and I think we found out the day that the Tribune, Waco Tribune broke it, so that was the 5th of August, so about 15 days by the time we published Wow, you know, and uh, one thing that I guess really really stunned me reading about this was that, you know, this investigation and indictments, I mean, it stayed under wraps for nearly two years after the incident itself occurred. Um, did you find much evidence of the local media kind of digging into uh, the details of Ukwachu's uh, uh, absence from the team? Well, what I found was when I got the tip, I immediately, you know, I was given his name and I did what I would normally do from my home in Austin, which was I Googled him, you know, and I Googled him with certain terms like arrest or sexual assault or all sorts of things. And like, I just couldn't find anything. And it was actually, that's when I turned to Dan and asked for his help. And he's the one who found him on the docket. Uh, his name was already on the docket to go to trial on August 17th at the point that we got the tip. So yeah, I mean, we couldn't really find anything, like literally nothing before August 5th that had any indication in the media that this player had been investigated, indicted, that he was going to trial. So one thing that uh, stuck out to me, uh, you know, was also that, uh, the, you know, the, the case was essentially sealed. I mean, how much of the pretrial kind of uh, legal maneuvering surrounding the case made it, I mean, did it make it impenetrable for you? Or, I mean, should it have been that way, at least, I guess, for the local media? Well, I think we maybe should be careful about how we talk about it. Uh, I understand what the Waco Tribune is saying when they use the term sealed indictment. It, the DA definitely filed an indictment that made it more difficult to locate the indictment. But when I drove to Waco, I went to the clerk's office. I typed Yukuwachu's name into the file system, and his case file popped right up, and I clicked on the indictment and saw it. So it wasn't that it was completely sealed, and there was a fair amount of stuff in the case file uh, itself that gave us a lot of clues as to what was going on. So, I mean, in that, in terms of what was accessible, it certainly was there and they hadn't gotten rid of it. 
in a way that media couldn't access it. I mean, we did go to the Waco PD. We've been trying to get the investigative file that the police did. They investigated for a few months, is our understanding, and then just suspended the case. And then somewhere in the spring of 2014, the assault was in October 2013, and somewhere in the spring of 2014, it got kicked to the DA's office. But we're trying to figure out why the Waco PD suspended, and we're still sort of negotiating with them to see if we're ever going to be able to see their file. And uh, on August 5th, the day that the Tribune published the their first piece ever about the case, um, I actually went back to Waco on August 7th and tried to talk to the DA that day. And I don't, I mean, I assume that this is more because of the Waco Tribune piece, but it was that day that she filed uh, a gag order. And so there was actually a gag order while the trial, before the trial and while it was ongoing. So we were unable to talk to either side's legal teams. Yeah, I mean, I guess that was one of the, the big questions. And, and actually, my next question for you was, uh, what in the world took so long between the investigation being completed and when the district attorney's office filed for an indictment? Yeah, we still don't really understand that. Um, I mean, I have some ideas, but I don't want to float them until mm -hmm. I have a harder idea of what happened there. But... Um, what, yeah, it's it's curious how long it took for the DA to get a hold of it because as soon as they got it, they went to a grand jury, which is incredibly secretive in Texas. So that whole process is always secretive, and got the indictment in June 2014, which was what seven months something uh, later than when she had originally reported it. And so that is still one of the one of the mysteries of what happened here. Hey folks, want to take a quick pause to tell you about one of our sponsors, SeatGeek. We're just about a week or so away from the start of the season, so I'm sure that everybody out there is trying to get to a game or two this year in Norman. So when you start looking for tickets, you've got to check out the SeatGeek app. It's the best way for fans to save money on Oklahoma football tickets, and it's a 100% free service. The SeatGeek app aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. Think about like Kayak.com for sports and concert tickets. When you're ready to buy your tickets, you can snag a deal right from your phone with just two taps on the app. There's really no better way to find your Oklahoma football tickets this season. SeatGeek also has a technology called DealScore that calculates what every ticket in the building is worth and whether the price you might pay for that ticket is a good deal or a bad deal. Good deals are represented as big green dots on the map. Bad deals are shown as small red dots, so it's easy to glance at which tickets will save you the most money. No other ticketing app has features like this. Use promo code SOONERS in the SeatGeek app and get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. It will take less than a minute to download the app today. So to redeem your promo code and save $20 on tickets, download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOONERS in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you've made your first SeatGeek purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOONERS today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to Oklahoma football tickets. You're listening to the Blatant Homerism Podcast on Sporto's Sooner Sports Radio, and we're talking with journalist Jessica Luther. You know, uh, turning to the information that was available on Ukuwachu, uh before he came to Baylor, you know, Max Olson and Mark Schlabaugh of ESPN published a piece this morning with uh, 
more details that they say came from a Boise State file that was provided to the court. And they say they say the uh, document's 238 pages long. You know, and likewise, it's clear your reporting drew heavily from documents filed with the court. You know, and all the reporting here paints a picture of someone who was going through a serious kind of mental health crisis at the time of this transfer. What's unclear to me, though, is what role federal privacy laws might have played in, in kind of determining the flow of information between Boise and Baylor at the time of that transfer. So, I mean, I guess in terms of what is now public, I mean, how much of this was really available to Baylor at the time when uh, this transfer was in the works? Yeah, we don't know is sort of the unsatisfying answer. Uh, we know that Peterson knew of all the reasons leading up to Kowachu's dismissal. So he certainly could have informed Bryles on this phone call that the two of them shared, which Dan and I knew nothing about at the time mm -hmm. that we published. That was something that we found out along with everybody else that they had actually talked on the phone about Ukwachu. So, I mean, I've obviously seen those 238 pages. Dan and I have seen the same ones that ESPN is talking about today. And I don't, I don't know how FERPA, which is the privacy law that you're talking about with student mm -hmm. privacy, I don't know how much that matters here. FERPA's maybe they used it um, to say that they couldn't explain to Baylor what had happened at Boise, but I don't know if that's necessarily true on a one-to-one -one phone call that's never going public. So I'm not, it's just so hard to say what Bryles knew and what he didn't know and what Peterson actually told him, right, and how he mm. characterized it. Those are things that we'll probably never quite get at. Yeah, and uh, I guess, in but, you know, beyond that phone call, too, I mean, just in terms of, you know, it's, presumably maybe there was some kind of paper trail that was shared between, uh, you know, Baylor and uh, Boise during this. I guess, and I'm wondering, you know, those documents, do you know what of that Baylor could have had access to or did have access to? I don't actually, I don't know how, one of the things I'm interested in athletes who transfer, this is something that I think a lot about. I worked a lot on the Vanderbilt case. There are four players there mm -hmm. who are, um, they're still uh, charged with sexual assault to go to trial. And two of them have transferred multiple times to yeah. try to play somewhere else. This is something I, I think a lot about. Um, and one of the things that's always frustrating and uh, looking into it is just how little we know about how much teams communicate and what they communicate and how they talk about uh, players that have trouble pass. Yeah, I mean, because uh, uh, Pete Thamel and Thayer Evans of uh, SI.com yesterday reported that uh, Florida knew everything about this, which, uh, you know, I realized that there was a Boise State, um, you know, a former Boise State coach on the staff there at Florida, but it makes you wonder how uh, they would have gotten all this information and, and Baylor wouldn't have. Right. I agree. I, that was an interesting turn yesterday when yeah. we heard about what happened at Florida, which again, totally, you know, news to us as we're learning along with everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, again, also, you know, Baylor, uh, right after, uh, the conviction came down, you know, that produced some documentation, you know, that, that, uh, you know, didn't really seem germane to me, but I wanted to get your take, you know, does that, did what Baylor has provided since then kind of change your opinion of the events at all? Uh, not really. I, I mean, the, so the documentation that they provided was, um, 
his transfer form mm-hmm. that was filled out by a Boise compliance person that basically said that he was allowed to resume classes immediately at Boise so should he choose to go back, which means that he was not dismissed from the university for any kind of severe misconduct um, or and that he wasn't expelled. And so it, it's sort of cloudy because that's documentation from the university. And from everything that we know, he was dismissed from the football team, but nothing and then voluntarily left Boise, the university. So I'm not sure that that transfer documentation tells us anything about what the university at large knew. Um, I mean, I'm interested in that. That's another question I have is, it is about what happened on the Boise side as far as if athletics has knows of a athlete that has done something like mm. what watch you did to lead up to his dismissals should they have to report it to the dean of students should that be in the student's conduct record so because we know one of the things we know is that the assault happened on October 20th on October 23rd the woman who did the investigation internally at Baylor uh, to see if Ukwachu had, you know, violated the student code by sexually assaulting another student, she contacted the dean of students and asked him about that particular part of his transfer, whether or not he was eligible to return to Boise. And he responded, I think maybe a couple of weeks later, saying, yeah, we don't have anything. Mm-hmm. He can come back if he wants. And so... Um, Dan and I knew about that before we published because we had those letters. So we under- we had talked about that particular aspect. So I'm not sure what to do with that. I don't think it really necessarily says anything about the what Baylor could have known. Um, I do have questions about whether or not Boise Athletics should be telling Boise in general about these things mm-hmm. and how that works. But that's, again, just another question that comes out of all of this. I want to take a quick pause to tell you about our new sponsor, uh, DraftKings. We're excited to bring on DraftKings as a partner with the Vsporto Network and Sooner Sports Radio. Some of you guys may or may not be familiar with DraftKings. If you're into fantasy anything, it, football, basketball, baseball, even golf, you know they have a one-day league for you at DraftKings. These are one-day leagues that allow you to get in for as little as $1.00. There's no season-long commitment that comes with the traditional fantasy leagues. So give this thing a shot. It's a lot of fun. Visit DraftKings.com and enter the promo code VSPORTO to get a 100% match deposit bonus of up to $600. DraftKings is going to dish out over $1 billion in prizes this year. So start playing and start winning. Again, you're listening to the Blayton Homers and Podcast on VSPORTO Sooner Sports Radio. And we're talking with journalist Jessica Luther. Um, turning to Baylor's Title IX, uh, you know, the internal investigation that was done, I mean, did you get a sense as to whether that investigation was at all hamstrung, again, by privacy laws or, or the cooperation of the victim in this case? Well, it, my understanding was that it didn't have anything to do with whether or not the victim cooperated. So it appears that she, based on everything that I heard at trial, um, was, wanted the school to do something, mm-hmm. uh, the investigation is again a, a frustrating part of this story. So what we know from trial is that there was an investigation that it went on for at least six weeks. Um, she, the woman that investigated it, uh, talked to the victim Ukwachu, uh, wit- one witness on each side, saw some text messages, uh, probably the ones we saw in trial, and then apparently he passed the lie detector test. Um, that's that wasn't admissible in court. So we didn't actually hear about it in the trial beyond sort of being told that, that it existed. But, um, 
But his witness was his roommate. And one of the things I actually have been fascinated with the entire time is his roommate. And this has been Mm -hmm. a very, like, no one has talked about this part. But the roommate didn't come forward for six weeks to say that he had been in the apartment at the time when she said she had been assaulted. Um, That roommate later, I mean, this summer, he also was a football player. Um, He actually was an Australian rugby champion, so he's a little bit older because he played rugby in Mm -hmm. Australia before coming here. But this summer, he actually spent two days in jail because he failed to show up to give testimony at a grand jury so that the prosecution could understand what his side of it was. Um, mm-hmm. He was a very uh, skittish witness. He actually, it, we, it wasn't even clear he was going to show up for court. or And then if he did, he might plead the fifth. So, I mean, that's the one witness that he had on his side. Uh, we know that they didn't see the rape kit. We don't know if they could have ever seen the rape kit, um, whether or not they actually would have had access to that. But, I mean... Uh, Paul Catalina on Outside the Line said a great thing yesterday about if if Baylor couldn't get access to these important things and that was the only investigation they could do, why did they say he was cleared? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really uh, important question. I mean, Baylor has said they're going to do their own internal investigation of their internal investigation. So we'll see what comes up. But um, yeah, the I I... I don't know how the victim felt. Mm-hmm. I mean, she must have been, she must have felt pretty bad about yeah. that whole process. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I guess, you know, they also had the option at, at later points also to uh, reopen, you know, the investigation also. So again, uh, right. you know, that, again, the questions there are just th- that part of it's the, that part of the investigation, you know, obviously, I mean, it feels very thin, but, you know, uh, you know, you try to apply some type of, uh, you know, kind of critical analysis to whether or not that was willful, willful ignorance on their part, or if there were, you know, extenuating circumstances that actually kept Baylor from doing more. Right, right. We did. I, there was an interesting moment in court with the woman who did the investigation. She actually was on the witness stand and she was being, I, Ma'am, I I can't remember if it was the DA who was questioning her, and they asked her what the victim had told her, and she said that she had originally told her that Ukawachu kissed her and performed oral sex, mm-hmm. and the DA jumped up and said that is not true, and the woman had to backtrack and say she misspoke that he tried to do those things, and she rebuffed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Waco Tribune reported that the DA actually ran that woman down in the hallway to yell at her afterwards mm-hmm. for misspeaking in such an important way on the witness stand. So on some level, I think incompetence, and and then I think about that moment in the courtroom, and I just... I just have to shake my head. You just have to wonder what all is going on there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and in closing, you know, I mean, I'm an Oklahoma fan, so given what what's happened there the last, you know, year, 18 months, I mean, obviously sure. I, wrestled, I wrestled a lot with a lot of, you know, kind of what's been going on. And, you mm-hmm. know, but one thing about the reaction to all of this that kind of stands out to me in general is that, you know, our attention really gets drawn to these cases really essentially after kind of after the damage is already done, you know, and, and mm-hmm. people focus on the punishment phase. What should a player be allowed to come back to the team? How, how, what should happen next? But what strikes me about this case that's different is that, you know, whether or not Baylor ignored or, or fell short of responsibilities, you know, in the vetting process here, 
the warning signs of the potential virus with uh, Ukawachu, um, I mean, they should have been glaring to a lot of people that were involved. So, I mean, I guess, Mike, you know, it leads me to wondering, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on the institutional process that's in place, I guess, for, you know, evaluating potential incoming athletes and also, I guess, you know, the counseling that's available to them once they're on campus? Because, I mean, it seems to me like there are massive holes on, on the front end, on the prevention side, um, when it comes to this uh, type of behavior that, that deserve more attention. Yeah, no, I actually totally agree with you. I'm way more interested in prevention than punishment because that's the thing that's actually going to change stuff as we move forward. Um, we don't know a whole lot about that. I act- I have tried. I write about the intersection of sports and violence against women and especially sexual assault on a f- pretty regular basis. Um, I actually went to Florida State, so mm-hmm. I, oh, okay. I'm a gigantic Florida State football fan. So, um Yeah, and I think that this is really key. So there are three Oregon basketball players who were released, were dismissed from the team this last year after a woman reported that they had raped her. She actually settled with the university. Um, That became a whole discussion because one of those three players had transferred in from Providence um, after he had been accused of sexual assault at Providence, right? And Mm -hmm. apparently is now onto a third school with a scholarship. But I was talking to someone about it because one of those players transferred to Houston and you know, we were talking about like, what if he got to talk to the coach at Houston about this player, what would he want to talk to him about? And I said, hands down, if it was me, I would ask him, what are they doing to help this person that they're bringing to campus who is potentially dangerous to other people on campus? Um, And, and like, I think part of the struggle is that we think of these athletes we all think of these athletes as separated from the larger community that they're a part of. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is that it's, it's too easy to forget that they are, that that Baylor is an entire campus of people Um, that the, you know, the risk, which is the word we often see associated with these, you know, risky players that they bring on um, is often discussed as like, what if they do something and they get dismissed or suspended and then you don't have them on the field or the court or something like that, where the real risk is, as we saw at Baylor, to a woman on campus, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I think when you start thinking about prevention, it, you, you're forced to think in larger terms than just them as players or athletes separated from the community, Um it's really hard, though, to get teams to tell you what mm-hmm. it is they're doing for prevention, um, and, which is another sort of frustration. I think a big part of the Baylor story, I think we hit it the right time right before the season was going to start. It's a top four team. Mm-hmm. But really what I think people reacted to is the amount of secrecy. Yeah, And this happens over and over again in my experience. It's It's the lack of transparency, and that's as true when it comes to trying to get answers to what they do preventatively as much as what they do once they find out that um, a player has possibly done something. So, yeah, I don't have a great answer. I I wish I had a better answer for you on that, but I agree with you that it's prevention that should really be the focus. Yeah, you know, and uh, it feels like in a lot of cases the, the, uh, I don't know, the solutions that are provided for, for after the fact, you know, I mean, a lot of times kind of, you know, fall woefully short of doing anything on that end. So, you know, I mean, I, from my perspective, I'd like to see them focus more on that. So anyway. I agree. I agree. 
Well, Jessica, I have uh, kept you long enough, so I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy right now, so I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking. Thank you so much. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.